Please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning, and it might become the norm. As a pastor, there are many things that regularly run through my mind, and one of the things that I constantly wrestle over is, particularly being a teachy pastor, is the desire to teach, but also the desire to apply, to impart understanding, but also to take that understanding and apply it and link it to your life. As we're beginning this morning, there are outlines. Um, Troy, thank you. Uh, if you would like an outline for this morning's sermon, uh, if you could raise your hand, Troy will, will, I'm sorry to get you back up again, Troy, but Troy will um, be happy to hand you an outline this morning. If you'd like one, you can just raise your hand and he'll be sure to get you one. I desire to part, impart understanding, and, and those of you that know me know that I am indeed a, a very teachy pastor. And so I'm going to try something this morning that I, I am hoping will help with both understanding as well as application. See, understanding is the very foundation upon which we are able to live a godly life, understanding the Word of God. But without application, without translating that which we understand into that which is in our lives, we will fail at properly taking the Word of God and living it out through our lives. And I would not want that of our church to where we all understand the Word of God, but we are unwilling or unable to take the Word of God and then apply it to our personal situation. So I'm going to use the projector this morning. You have your notes there if you'd like to follow along. And I am going to um, cut our sermon and the template for my sermon into two different parts. We're going to understand what the Word of God has to say as I teach the concepts. And then we're going to just breach into a, a time of application together and we'll see how this format works. If you like it, if you don't like it, by all means, please let me know. If it helped you, if it did not help you, that would be even more helpful for me than if you just plain didn't like it or liked it. If it helps you or if it doesn't help you, by all means, let me know. And um, I, I want to preach in such a way that it would be the most helpful for you in your understanding of the Word of God. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Last week we talked about separation. In uh, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, Paul told us that little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump, that a small bit of sin taints the body, that sin is infectious, that sin spreads. Therefore, we need to, as he says, purge out the old leaven so that we can be a new lump. Purge out the taint so that we can be pure before God. And as he gave these concepts, he particularly emphasized, we particularly emphasized this last bit, that we need to live not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity or clarity and truth. But we didn't talk about everything necessarily last week that will help us both understanding this idea of separation or understanding the limits to which that separation goes. And that's what Paul speaks of in verses 9 through 13. So let's understand this morning the verses. In verse 9, Paul says this. We'll read the whole passage. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. 
For then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one. No, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So Paul speaks here about some of the limitations to the separation that he has been preaching. The the idea of purging the lump of the leaven. And as we see in verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Well, that concept, that idea, uh, even that statement might be kind of interesting if you think about it. We are in the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. And yet he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. What we understand is that there had been communication between Paul and this church prior to 1 Corinthians. Now we know that the Holy Spirit has preserved the Word of God. He inspired the Word of God and He has preserved the Word of God. So what we have here in the 66 books of our Bible, the 39 Old Testament and the 27 New Testament, is what God intends us to have. There's none missing. There's none lost. There's none corrupted. God has preserved His Word. And yet, we also see that Paul had written to the Corinthian church in some time prior to 1 Corinthians, and he told them that they are not to company with fornicators. That word company there in the Greek is really a compound of three words. It has the Greek word soon, which means with. It has the Greek word ana, which means up or among. And then it has the Greek word Uh, literally meaning to mix with, it's the word mignumi. And so literally, this word, as those three words were put together, is to mix up with, or to mix together with. Paul says, I wrote unto you in a former epistle that you would not mix yourself up with, or mix yourselves together with fornicators. And as the Corinthian church read this command, to whatever degree of carnality had been in the church when they received that epistle, they interpreted it wrong. That's kind of, I suppose, assuring in some ways that even back in the, in the time of the New Testament where it was actually coming from the pen of Paul or uh, um, amanuensis and, and it was going directly to the church that it was still possible for them to misunderstand what he was saying. And they began to interpret this as though they should not company, not mix themselves together with anyone who would be defined by the sin of fornication or anyone who would be defined by the sin of covetousness or anyone who would be defined by the sin of idolatry. And Paul says that this is the wrong understanding of what he had written and here's why, verse 10. He says, yet not altogether, I didn't mean or perhaps he even wrote this, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world or with covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. So he says, I didn't write unto you intending you to not company with, not mix with fornicators of this world. See, because if there's a fornicator or an idolater or a coveter or an extortioner, that is, if, if, if we were to separate ourselves from everyone in this world that was defined by these things, well, then you'd have to completely come out of the world. Because the unbelieving world is defined by all of these things, is it not? If I were to separate myself from every extortioner, 
in this world, I'd have a hard time shopping, wouldn't I? Because those, those big, big box stores, they're, they're, they're not being very honest at all times with their prices, are they? They're not always doing what's best for you. If I was to separate myself from every coveter, every fornicator, then I would be completely separating myself from everyone around me. Paul says, that's not what I intended here. But the question comes up as we think about this. What is the world? What is the world that he's speaking of here? Not Yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, for then you must ye needs go out of the world. It's very important that we understand what Paul means here when he says the world. If we're going to glean from this passage of Scripture the command that Paul has for us. So we're going to take a few moments and we're going to understand what Paul meant when he said the world. And you'll see that in your notes. After that, we're going to jump right into an understanding of the difference between isolationism and separation. The difference between isolation and separation. So let's talk about those two concepts together. The first concept being the world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, John says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we see a concept here where John actually defines the world. He says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says that notice these things, they are not of the Father, but they are of the world. So the things in the world are of the world. John is using what we might call a double meaning here as he speaks in the text. He's talking about the world system that is defined as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But he's also talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that they comprise the world system. So it goes both ways here. And as he's speaking of the world, that's what he's referencing. As we continue, um, I'm sorry, I went back instead of forward. As we continue, consider James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And what James has to say about the world, he says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? James is saying here, the Holy Spirit that is in you is jealous of you. He wants you to himself. He doesn't want you to be a friend of the world. He wants you to himself. And here we're beginning to see an even greater picture of what the scriptures mean when it talks about the world. It's not talking about the trees and the rocks. The scriptures say that God made these things and in the day that he made them, they were very good. The scriptures tell us in regard to those inanimate uh, objects of this life that there is nothing clean in and of itself and nothing unclean in and of itself for God has made all these things. However, there is some element called the world that we are not to love and not to be a friend of. And these terms, as we see John say, love not the world in 1 John, and as we see James say uh, that we are not to be a friend of the world in James chapter 4, we're seeing the same concept here, the world. Let's look at one more passage of Scripture and then we'll apply this concept this morning. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, God said this, for the grace of God, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that 
denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so as Titus warns us against the world, he says that we need to deny ungodliness and deny worldly lusts. And contrary to that, we live soberly, righteously, and godly. We live in a way that is defined by control, sobriety, defined by righteousness and piety in this present world. So in this world, but not of this world. Living in the world, but not defined by this world. And that brings us to this concept. When the scriptures speak of the world, they're speaking of a system. Did you know that the world has a spiritual element to it? The world system. And John tells us that Satan is the leader of this world system. In John chapter 12, verse 31, in John 14, 30, and in John 16, 11, Jesus Christ calls Satan the prince of this world. When Satan fell to his own pride, when he fell to sin, God gave him this realm, not to be king over this realm, but as Adam and as Adam fell to sin, as the world fell to sin, as they all fell to the curse, Satan was given this realm to work in this realm. And so what we see as we look at the world around us is a world that is being led by a satanic world system. The philosophies of the world, the direction this world is going in, the desires of this world are in line both with Satan and his objectives. The governments of this world are in line with Satan and his objectives. The scriptures tell us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the scriptures tell us that we need to separate ourselves from those things that would be defined by this world's system, by the spirit of this world, rebellion against God. Those things that constitute rebellion against God constitute what is the world the system and the spirit that is in this world. I trust that as you live your life, that you see the world system. That you don't just see all of the physical that is going on around you, but you see the spiritual battle that is raging between God's redeemed and those who are still blinded by the prince of this world, blinded by Satan. And that should mean something to you in regard to separation. See, because when we understand that Hollywood is not run by Christians, and we understand that the music industry is not run by Christians, and we understand that our government is not run by Christians, now that doesn't mean that we come out of the world because we need to be around those of the world, but we need to be careful how much we allow the world to get in us. Because we must understand that the world system is not of God. So we need to be careful. We need to have that in our minds at all times so that we can properly evaluate this understanding of separation. We'll get there in just a moment. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. 
So John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. James said, do not be a friend of the world. If any man's a friend of the world, um, he is at enmity with God. And Paul says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. These are all the same concept. Love, friendship, affection. When we place the things of this world as higher in value than the commands of God, we are loving this world. When we are allowing the things of this world to override the commandments of God, we are being a friend of this world. When we are taking the things of this world and we are giving them a higher priority than the things of God, then we are setting our affections on things on the earth instead of things of God. Love not the world. So that's the world. Let's talk for a moment about isolation and separation. There's a tendency that has always been prevalent in Christians who have desired to love the Lord and do what's right, to isolate themselves. All throughout church history, we have seen isolationists. Those that have so desired to do what is right before God, um, for better or for worse, that they have isolated themselves from the rest of society. In the very early church, there were ascetics. They sold everything that they had, They put on a rag. They went and lived in a cave so that it could just be them and God and they would be completely away from the temptations of this world. And then you had some well-meaning folks that started up monasteries. And then you had the Quakers and the Amish and the Mennonites, all people who, in a desire to consecrate themselves to God, separated themselves completely from the society around them and created in themselves an internal system whereby they didn't touch the world because the the world didn't touch them because they didn't touch the world. And that has always been the temptation in society or in, in Christian spheres. Let me define for you the the difference between isolation and separation. Isolation is physical separation from unbelievers and from the world system. Separation is when one interacts with unbelievers, lives in the world system, but refuses to be a part of, refuses to support the world system. As we think of these two definitions, isolation, ladies and gentlemen, is unbiblical. It is an unbiblical philosophy. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. If you were to, to isolate yourself, if you were to completely separate yourselves from those who were sinning of, of the unbelieving sort, then you would have to isolate yourselves from the world. And that is not your calling. That is not your calling. God has called us to win the world. How can we win them if we never touch them? How can we win them if we're never around them? How can you win the world to Christ if you don't interact with the world? How can Legacy Baptist Church see people come to Christ see people brought into our church and see people discipled in Jesus Christ if you never interact with unbelievers. If you are never out there shining your light. We'll talk about that more during our time of application. 
Now that being said, there are some important considerations. When we consider the, the reality that we ought not be isolationists, but we ought to be separationists, let's talk about some of these considerations, things that we need to know as we step out into the world. First, we need to understand separation. We need to understand biblical separation. We need to know what we must separate from. We just talked about this. We need to understand what the world is and what the world's system is. And we need to see the implications of the world system so that we can pinpoint the world system and we can guard ourselves against allowing the world system into our lives. So we can guard ourselves against allowing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life from actually taking root in our lifestyle. And so we need to have that understanding of separation. We need to understand that we, we ought to and we must be a pure people as we talked about last week. That a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Therefore we must purge out the old leaven so that we may be a new lump living our lives in sincerity and in truth. We also need to understand that sometimes isolation is actually necessary to a limited degree. Necessary isolation. You have a besetting sin. You have a sin that you have, have struggled with your whole life. Well, it's not wise to put yourself in that situation. A man who was once an alcoholic should not go to a bar to witness. If there is a weakness toward a particular sin, then it is wise to isolate himself from that particular sin and find another way to minister. It is necessary that we, because of besetting sins or particular temptations, would isolate ourselves from those particular areas of life where we are, where we are tempted. I am a... Um, I, I, will, I try to eat healthy. But there, there are certain sweet things that I struggle with and others that I don't. You could place cake and ice cream before me any day of the week and I could say no thank you. You could place a pie before me any day of the week and I could say no thank you. Now that doesn't mean I always do say no thank you, but I can. Not a problem. But if you put a bowl of cookies in front of me, it's not going to work. I'm going to eat those cookies. If you put a bowl of jelly beans in front of me, I'm going to eat those jelly beans. It's just the way it is. I, I, I know what I can and can't handle when it comes to sweet stuff. And so, if I am trying to avoid sweets, I can, but my family isn't. My family's not. I'm on a diet. They're not. If, if that were the situation, I would tell my wife, you can have cake in the house. You can have ice cream in the house. You can have pie in the house. By all means, but don't you dare bring a cookie into this house. Don't you dare bring a jelly bean into this house because I won't be able to handle it. I'm going to isolate myself from that particular area that I cannot handle but allow those other areas. In your Christian life, as you are interacting with the unbelieving world, maybe there are certain things that you simply can't handle. You can't handle having cable without going to those television shows you know you ought not watch. You can't handle having the internet without going to pornographic websites. You can't handle going to one area or another area or doing something or whatever without sin. So you need to isolate yourself from that. But that's limited. There are also areas 
where it's advisable to be isolated. Sometimes there are elements of testimony that would necessitate us isolating ourselves from a certain part of society. Or maybe there's something that's too great of a risk. As I have um, thought, uh, I, I grew up in public schools, and as I consider regularly my daughters and um, their future, we intend to homeschool our children. And I was talking to someone a while ago, and they were asking me about that, and I said, I could foresee the possibility at some point of allowing my children to go to a public school for the sake of their opportunity to witness. Because I can think off the top of my head of, of three people that I was able to lead to Christ specifically because I was in public schools and I was around them at school. It's a great witness opportunity. However, as I think about that, it would never, ever happen to them. I would never put them in that situation with the schools being as they are right now and the philosophy of this age, um, personally, at a young age. I told these people, I might let them in their high school years go to a public school, but not in their younger years. And they looked at me like, really? They said, I would think it would be the other way around, that you'd let them go in those younger years when they're not teaching the things, and then in high school, when, when the evolution and everything is being pushed, that's when you take them out. And I, I, I thought about that, well, no, because by the time they're in high school, I can give them the foundation, and they can know how to spread the gospel, and now they're a light in a dark world. And so it's advisable sometimes to isolate. I'm not going to risk my children necessarily until I feel that they're ready. And that's perhaps an advisable separation. Not permanent, not complete. My children might still go to band or or whatever the case may be, but there's going to be that level of separation until such time as they can be trained up in the ways of the Lord. Isolation versus separation. Consider a couple of verses with me as we think about these topics. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, the Scriptures tell us to abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, this verse has been taken out of context to where people have said, this is, this is the isolation verse. Well, really, it's not. It's a separation verse. It's speaking of our Christian testimony. And it is important that when we come to areas of Christian testimony, that we are willing and able to abstain from things that we might be free to do in order to protect the testimony of, of our church or our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 16, verse 19. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. I have talked to various pastors, various people, and they say, well, it's important that we learn all the things of the world so that we can reach the world. That's not what Paul teaches. Paul says, I would desire that you would be simple concerning evil, that you would be wise concerning good. I don't need to listen to the trash that the world listens to and watch the trash that the world watches so that I can relate to them and win them. I don't need to do that. I don't need to be able to relate to them on the level of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride of life. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I would that you would just be simple concerning that which is evil, but that you would be wise unto the good. So as you consider your levels, your marks of separation and isolation, you know, it's important that you keep this framework in mind. Abstaining from all appearance of evil. Being simple unto the evil. Being wise unto the good. You don't need to be of the world to win the world, but if you isolate from the world, you can't win the world either. Let's continue in our text. Verse 11. 
1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one. No, not to eat. If any man be called a brother, this word brother in Scripture almost always in the New Testament references fellow believers. And notice it doesn't say that he necessarily is a believer, but this is someone who calls himself a believer. If a man says, yes, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then everything changes in your relationship with them. May I say that again? If a person professes to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything changes in your relationship with them. To such... To, to one such as this, Paul says, if a man that is a believer, who calls himself a believer, be a fornicator, a covetous, or an idolater, not that he has done these sins before and confessed them and forsake them, but he is living in open, unrepentant sin. If he is living a lifestyle of a fornicator, or of a coveter, or of an extortioner, or of an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, if he is living this life, and he calls himself a believer you should not even eat with that person. You should not invite him into your home. You should not be on a friendship level with him. Why? Here's the reason. To openly and actively engage in sin as a believer is to blaspheme the Word of God. To rebelliously, unrepentantly engage in sin. See, what is... Sinful ignorance in the heart and life of an unbeliever is abject rebellion in the life of a believer. Because if you are a believer and you claim to be a believer, then you have the Holy Spirit indwelling. And if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling, then He is both teaching you and convicting you of sin. And if you, with the Holy Spirit indwelling, being taught of sin, being convicted of sin, are living in a manner that is apart from the truth, then you are doing so in direct disobedience to the Spirit's conviction in your life. You're leaven in the lump. And leaven in the lump, Paul says, needs to be purged. Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump. And so when a believer, a professing, even if you're not sure they are a believer, if they profess faith in Jesus Christ, then this is the standard by which we approach them. If they are living in open, unrepentant, obvious sin, then we need to purge them from the lump. With such an one, no, not to eat. With such an one, no, not to eat. Let's talk about verses 12 and 13. Paul says, For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. The first part of that, Paul says, Ye judge them that are within, but God judges them that are without. Let's talk about this concept of being within and without. Paul is speaking here of believers versus unbelievers. Those that are within is Paul's classification of those who are believers. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ, they are therefore in the church, the body of Christ. Those that are without are those who are, naturally, outside the church, outside the body of Christ, outside of belief in His name. And before we apply this morning, I'd like us to just take a brief moment to understand some concepts of church authority. See, Jesus Christ says in these verses 
that we ought to put away from among ourselves that wicked person. That we can judge those that are within. So let's talk about this concept of judging what God means here. There are three earthly ordained institutions that God has created. The family, led by the Father. The church, led by Christ with under shepherds. And then the civil government who is led by the king or the president or whatever particular structure of government the, the nation has. These are the three institutions that God has ordained and He has given each one of these institutions a sphere of authority. Those spheres of authority overlap, but they also have areas of exclusion. Areas that that sphere alone has authority over. Now today we're talking about the second one on that list. We're talking about the church. The authority that God has given the church. And He has not given this authority over all men, but He has given the church authority over itself. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 in your Bibles, please. Jesus Christ gives in Matthew chapter 18... The, what we call the framework of church discipline. Look with me beginning in verse 15. Jesus Christ says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear thee, them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth, it shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for, uh, for them of my Father which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. This is the prescribed method of church discipline. When a man is walking contrary to sound doctrine you confront that man. If he will not obey the Word of God, then you bring other men of the church to confront that brother. If he will still not repent and submit himself to the Word of God, then you bring him before the entire assembly. And if, having been brought before the entire assembly, he will not repent of his open sin, then you need to remove him from your fellowship. This is what Paul speaks of. Do not we judge them that are within... Do not we have the ability to separate ourselves from those who call themselves believers but are walking contrary to sound doctrine? Note verse 20. Paul says, For where two or three are gathered, excuse me, Jesus Christ says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Oftentimes, people use this verse to speak of God being in our midst when we gather together as a church. And it's true, He is. But is God not present when we're sitting at home with our Bible as well? What this verse is actually talking about is church authority. Where two or three are gathered in the name of Christ, just as when we believe in the name of Christ, we are aligning ourselves with the person and the work and the Word of God. When we, as a group of believers, come together and align ourselves in the name of Christ, His person, His work, and His Word, and we rebuke someone for their sin, the Scriptures say that where those two or three are gathered in God's name, He is in our midst. The church has been given divinely appointed authority 
and responsibility to grant or withhold fellowship from believers on the basis of the fruit of their actions. People say, but you're judging him. You see his actions and you're judging his heart. The church has that authority if you call yourself a believer. To see your actions, to see open sin, and to remove you from fellowship because of your sin. God says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in their midst. My authority is there as well. That group of people has God's authority to remove that erring brother from their midst. I remind you of what we said last week though. It's not for the purpose of complete complete um, isolation. It's for the purpose of restoration. It's for the purpose of restoration. Now, unbelievers. The church has no authority over them. Period. We don't issue physical sanctions against unbelievers because of their sin. You don't say, I'm not going to invite my, neighbor, my unbelieving neighbor over to my house because he's, because he's a fornicator, or he's an idolater, or he's covetous. I, we, we are not going to, if a guest comes and they're an unbeliever, we are not going to remove him from this church because of his sin, because he's an unbeliever. We have no authority to judge the sin as in placing physical sanctions. Now, does that mean that we can't tell sinners they're sinners? No. But that's not us judging them. That's the Word of God judging them. That's us telling them what the Word of God says. But we should not levy physical sanctions against unbelievers for their, un- for their sin. Because they're going to sin. They're in unbelief. They're, the sin of unbelief overrides every single one of their works. Whether we would call them good or bad. So we've learned this morning. Let's apply. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 says this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candlestick and put it under a bushel, but on a candle, but on, light a candle, excuse me, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Last week we talked about separation. Gave you some more principles of separation this week, but we're talking about the limits as we apply. I have here a flashlight. This is an LED flashlight. It's got one, two, three, four, five, six bulbs. LED flashlights tend to have multiple bulbs. This is a six-bulb LED. I turn that flashlight on. All six of those bulbs shine together in your eyes. All six of your, these bulbs shine together to make one beam. And that beam is illuminating. However, we're in a fairly well-illuminated room. I'm shining this beam and I can see it a little bit as it goes around the room. It might be casting a shadow here or there. But this flashlight was not created to be used in a bright room. If I went outside and you saw me going like this, walking to my car in 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you would think there's something wrong with Pastor Wickler. See, I'm, I'm using a flashlight in the light. I'm shining a light into the light. I'm not using this for its purpose. It has a purpose to shine in the darkness. And you know what? The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. 
the darker it is in my atmosphere, the brighter the light shines. And the light is meant to be shined into the darkness. Look, if we are isolationists, if you and I love this church so much that we enfold into this church and our only interaction is with people in this church and everything that we do is with people in this church, we might be the brightest shining light in the entire world, but we're shining into brightness and we're not doing a lot of good. There's, there's mutual edification. We understand that. But that's not our purpose. That's not what God has made the church to be. We need to be shining into darkness. If we were to turn all the lights off, and I were to take this exact same light, shining the exact same brightness, and I were to shine it around, now it would illuminate. Now the darkness would be pierced with the light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Your candlestick can't be hidden. It's meant to be put on a uh, candle. I keep saying, your candle shouldn't be hidden. It's meant to be put on a candlestick so that it can illuminate the darkness. The city which is set on a hill is on a hill so that people can look at it at the night and they can say, there's the city. That's the city. I can see it because it's shining in the, brightness, uh, in the darkness. If we isolate ourselves from the world around us, we fail at God's purpose for us. We might become great, great spiritual... We might know the Bible really well. We might have all the answers. We might live pious lives, but we are missing an essential element of what God has called us to do. We are missing an essential element of godliness and spirituality because God has called us to shine our light into this world. I said there's six bulbs in this. If one of these bulbs goes dim or one of these bulbs goes out, the light will not shine as bright. If two of these bulbs dim or two of these bulbs go out, the light continues to lose its ability to illuminate. The beam that this flashlight casts depends on all six lights being bright in order to cast a beam that is maximum in its effectiveness and its efficiency. Separation. When there is a dim bulb, and I don't mean intellectually, <laughs> when there is a dim bulb in the church, when the dirty is with the clean, the dirty doesn't get cleaner, the clean gets dirtier. When there is one in the midst that is not shining for Christ, but is still in the light, He is causing the entire body to shine less bright. He is tainting the entire ability of the body to shine into the darkness. Will it still shine? It will still shine. But it won't be as bright. The more we allow the dimness of the world to dampen our light, the more we allow the affections of the world and the lust of the world and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life to entrench itself in our lives, in our families, in our church, in the church at large, the more that happens, the dimmer the light gets. And you say, well, there's nothing we can do for it. Right? You've got your dim bulbs and you've got your bright bulbs. You've got those that are shining and you've got those that are living in sin. That's not what the Bible says. Do not we judge them that are within? 
when there is a sinner in the midst, in order for us to shine brightly, we need to, we need to deal with that sin. We can't just let that sin go on. If there is sin in your life, you are not shining bright enough. If you want to shine as bright as you can for God, you've got to find that sin. You've got to, to, to separate from that sin when there's sin in the church. The church needs to pinpoint that sin and needs to confront that sin. And if they won't get that sin cleaned up, then you need to remove yourselves from that sin because the light depends upon every bulb doing its job. Brightness. Separation. Not isolation. The limits. If we separate ourselves from the world, then we're shining into a bright room. It's not doing any good. But if we have dim bulbs those that are within the church, those that claim to be of Christ, if they're dim, if they're out, if they are living in sin, the church has all authority and all responsibility to deal with that. Let me ask you about you today as we close. Let me ask you about your bulb. We have 20 some odd bulbs in this room that are shining. How well is your bulb shining? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are not of the Father, but are of the world. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. How are your affections doing today? Who are your friends? Where is your love rooted? Do you love the world? Are you attached to this world? Are there things in this world that take precedent over the things of God? There's lots of litmus tests for such things. I'm with the Lord every day making fellowship among God's people a priority. What you watch when you turn on the television, where you go when you get online, we've mentioned those things already. But those are just tests. What's the Holy Spirit saying to your heart this morning? Is there conviction in your heart? Has the thumb been placed on something in your life that is dimming your bulb? Get it taken care of. Now the responsibility to protect this church is upon your pastor. By God's grace, we're doing that. We're protecting this church. I know of no one in open sin. But rest assured, this church and part of the blessing of preaching such things is not just that you pinpoint the people around you and you get them out of the church, but that we as a church understand that this is where the church stands. And that should cause us to have a healthy fear that should keep us in line with God. There's accountability in this group, praise God. Mutual brothers and sisters in Christ who are on this journey together, knowing that none of us is perfect. Your pastor's not perfect, you know that, right? On this journey together, seeking to do the will of God.
seeking to be the brightest light we can be and we must be shining in the darkness. If all of your friends, if all of your interactions are unbelievers, can I encourage you to change something about the way you live your life? I mean believers. If all of your interactions with believers change the way you live your life, find some way to interact with unbelievers. Find some way to work yourself into society and culture so that you can shine a light into the dark world. It's good that you invite your fellow church folk over to your house and that you go over to their house. It's good that we have that fellowship, that iron sharpening iron, that you're here on Sunday, that we're, we're, that we're learning together, that we're growing together, but we come together on a Sunday in order that we might go out into the world and shine brightly for Him. Are you doing it for Him? Are you shining bright? Are you shining into darkness? Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for the Word of God. We thank You that You have given us the responsibility and the privilege of shining our light into a dark world. Father, we know that You have called us to do so and yet we need Your help. We know that it's not necessarily us that shines, it's You through us. We pray that You would help us too through rejecting the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, through rejecting all that is in this world. The world system by having the proper bounds of separation but not isolating ourselves that we would live lives that are soberly righteously and godly manifestations of your word in this world may we be a church that shines brightly for you may you help us to be a church that's going out and telling others may we truly be a church that is in the world, though never of the world. We love you. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.